Hello, and welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. I just wanted to let you know, this episode was originally recorded in February of 2022, and you might hear a little construction noise in the background. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. We are back at it again because we've missed the internet and your earbuds, and hopefully you've missed us. And, you know, if you're listening, we thank you. And you can always uh, do us a favor and you can like it and share it. Gets the word out. And you can do this in your own community, too. So this started out and it continues to be a local community um, organization of organizations. And I hate to use that word organization because it's really just communities. And uh, Dear to Our Hearts started in Denver. And now, you know, I'm in Waco, Janelle's still in Denver. But if you like what you're hearing and you want to be a part of this uh, personally, then just give us a shout out, uh, Ryan or Janelle at brewtheology.org, and we'll help you in that process. And if you just want to listen, that's fine, too. Um, you know, it's, it's all good. So we are at Brew Theology on Facebook and Instagram and Brew underscore on Twitter. And that's about it for now. So we're going to talk today about sports, the sports ball. <laughs> Uh, the foosball um, in, in religious context and, and also so both ancient and current days. And so for those that know, if you've been listening, I'm a sports fanatic. Janelle also likes sports, but we're, we're different in that in that approach. I think you're you're more of like a classical Olympian kind of uh, yeah. fanatic in a way. And, and I and I get that, too. And I think I'm more of, uh, of a meathead when it comes to football, <laughs> baseball and basketball, the big three. But I really just enjoy a good competition, a good game. So, um, what's your? Do you have a favorite sport? Can you say that, or are they all equal? So it's kind of like asking me who's my favorite kid. (laughs) It would depend on the day, sometimes the time of day. So, for instance, like right now, we just ended the Super Bowl football season, and of course, I'm all in the football season. Um, But there's an overlap with basketball, and I love basketball. I also played baseball. And so I, yeah, it just really depends. It depends. Depends on the day. But now, now I'm shifting gears and it's going to be all basketball. (laughs) Yep. If you were asking my favorite team of all sports teams, that's because my daughter, oldest Caroline's always asking me, dad, who's your favorite? Cause she gets, she's not, she understands collegiate professional. She understands the different kinds of sports. She's been going with me to games ever since she was little bitty. And I have to say that the San Antonio Spurs, if I could pick one team of all my teams throughout the years, that's still my favorite team. And it's tough because they are not playing well these days. <laughs> Which yeah, happens. So yeah, and I mean, yeah, you can't be a winner forever. No. Unless no. you're Tom Brady. But even Tom Brady has an has an end game. Well, and he just retired, right? He did. And yeah, he, he may come back. He may pull a Brett Favre. You think so? Can't stay away. Well, think of, think about how smart this would be. So you retire and you get healthy again. You focus on life and your family. You don't do any kind of training camp, but you still stay in shape. You still, you still he has all the equipment that he needs probably in his own house. Right. Well, personal trainers is probably there every day making his smoothies and putting stuff in it. And hey, let's do some whatever, some Pilates and moving on. So he's, he's still got all that going on for him. And then maybe he doesn't play for the first half of the season. And then there's the trade deadline and, and I don't know how that plays into people who haven't played yet but perhaps there's a team that needs a quarterback 
and <laughs> get right in and play the rest of the season. That's 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 my, I don't know, my hot take as far as what could happen. And everybody's got their hot take. We'll wait and see. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah. All right, so Janelle's the one that proposed this topic. And we'll look at some of the history here for those that aren't familiar. And then hopefully get some 21st century application, which is what we like to do. Well, I know how much you love sports. So I thought this was the perfect intersection of time to do it with the Olympics going on, the Super Bowl happening, like... You know how I know we know Paul uses these uh, metaphors all the time, and we've probably all heard terrible sermons about them. Um, so, you know, I was curious about how this relates to religion. And we looked, I looked this up, and the first thing that came up was encyclopedia.com. Actually, this has been religion and sports have been tied together for thousands of years. I did not know this. So I'm really interested to dive in and just see what all is there. And uh, we'll put together a curriculum piece on this um, because I think people would really enjoy having this conversation. So absolutely. I think it'd bring in um, a a different kind of crowd with the, with the original people too. Yeah, for sure. And I know Rob Carroll there in Denver will appreciate this too. Yeah. I think we'll probably end up doing this in a couple of weeks. So It'll be fun to to put that in front of people. So yeah. So evidently the Mayans, they there's this ancient story where heads will roll, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, and the Aztecs and I and I didn't realize that there were there were actual sports back then, and then it had of course it had something to do with with you know the gods, right? Because the gods right. are all angry, and so if you're going to do something athletic, it's got to be related. And I think that's the one thing when people today in the modern world, when they think about sports, they 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 feel like it is separated, that it's secular right. and they have their sacred. But uh, I mean, the the roots of this in the most ancient sense are are very spiritual and very religious. Yeah. The author of this talks about that, you know, the secularization that's happened in the last couple of centuries is very new. Uh, these things were always tightly tied together. And it's just in in recent history that we've taken sport and made it kind of its own thing. So, again, I had no idea. I'm kind of blown away at the moment of like how integral this is. Um, yeah. Oh, and at one point, players were sacrificed as food for these gods. Yeah. At least now we literally don't do that. <laughs> Except as we we talked about, we do kind of sacrifice their bodies a little bit in certain sports and so we have to make sure we take care of everybody we do and i, and I think was we we'd refer to this to the you know the nfl seems to be doing a better job but i think it's also because they've been called out in, in a in a culture that's saying you got to do something about this right as a multi-billion dollar industry yeah for sure and well that, that's just it so at one at one point uh for the so the actual athlete right the and this word athlete is somebody who competes for a prize, somebody who struggles. Even Paul talks about like this, this running the race and I'm, you know, beating my body. And it's, it's very much this heroic act of almost, uh, I'm, I'm putting my body through so much turmoil, but it's for this higher purpose, this higher calling. Yeah. So then originally athletes would do this for gods, but also for a prize. Now, now we know that, I mean, obviously the prize is much bigger for professional athletes, Right, but you have now collegiate athletes. They maybe get a scholarship. Some are walk-ons, 
but there's not much life. This is a very small percentage of society that actually gets a big prize. Yeah. But, yep. but then you have, I mean, all these kids and high schoolers and I mean, just amateurly dad, 40 year old middle-aged dads playing basketball. Like there's something about this competition that regard like what the prize is not just monetary. I and mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious about what is it about sports and athletes? What are we competing for? You can. Yeah. It, is it something bigger than ourselves or is it something within ourselves? That's a great question. And I think it's something they wrestled with throughout all of this. As a side note, if you're listening and you're hearing weird noises, uh, we're getting siding put on our house and there's really nowhere I can go to be completely um, free from extraneous noises. So if you're hearing that, I'm sorry. And if you hear a dog barking in the background, that's just <laughs> a dog barking at squirrels. It's Rosie. <laughs> yeah, I don't. So I think that's a, a big question when we look at the long term history of this is who is it for? And for thousands of years, it was it was really more for God or in honor of God's or related to some sort of worship, whereas now it's it's separate from that. It's about winning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so with the Olympics in mind current, currently, and we'll go back to kind of the, the, the foundation of that, there is a sense of honor for country. Right, so yeah. Nationalism and, and that aspect, you, you know, we all see that on the podium with the flags. And it, that, that that does give you a sense of like this this collective uh, I don't know, effervescence of we're in this together yeah. as a country. Yeah, like your country could be in shambles, and we could have the most divisive issues going on. I don't know where that would be happening. <laughs> Can't uh, imagine. Let's, let's just say it does happen in a particular Western country. <laughs> well, we can all rally around the stage, and and it's in it's in China of all places, right? Currently, and so I think that's a beautiful thing that yeah. in some ways sports is is not just a distraction, but it's a reminder of of we're in this together, um, right? And then. You know, I guess for other people, like we just had the Super Bowl recently. And so it's for L.A. You know, we, we're doing it for L.A. Or, I mean, surely we're not doing it for the owner. The See, now I was watching because of my favorite hippo. So Cincinnati was, you know, powered a little bit by Fiona fans. Um, if you don't yeah. know Fiona the hippo, just go look her up. She's amazing. Cincinnati but <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, think about it. so the difference between Cincinnati and LA. There, there's a great example of yeah, you know, people in LA. They like, do they really do it for LA? Because L- LA doesn't need, they don't need the Rams. They haven't needed the Rams for how many years? And they finally came back, and they go, oh, we got a sports team again in a pretty badass stadium, I might add. Yeah, but LA's got the, the you know the Hollywood. The, it's just West Coast, right? The best coast. Cincinnati, on the other hand, I'm picturing guys in this these dark taverns. You know, dreary winter days, <laughs> talking about Pete Rose and how he should be in the Hall of Fame. And when Cincinnati done anything in football? I don't know. They, they hadn't won it. They hadn't won a playoff game in 20. Was it 28 years up until this year? Wow. Joe Burrow's a second year quarterback. Se- second year quarterback. They weren't supposed to be this good. So it's a you know, small market Midwestern team. There's that story of it. So are they who are they doing it for? I mean, I, I, you kind of wonder about teams and I, I being a spurs fan that's a small market team yeah uh, there's something about that that people love the underdog but then there is the la to me la to me is the it's the golden calf 
You know, it's the look at us. We're we're LA. We're we're golden gods. We are the <laughs> best. No one's better than we are. Um, but ultimately, the, the athletes like they do it for different reasons too. Like right. I, speaking of actual people who are on the field, they've they've prepared their whole life for this day. That's the this is. I mean, that's why you see these guys crying. People may laugh at that, but no, that that's actually been their full time job ever since they were children. Right. And even, even the coaches, you know, that's been their job ever since they were kids. And yeah. it's, it is a it's a beautiful thing seeing grown men or women cry on a national or, or global stage. People say, oh, professional sports, they do it for the money. Like, yeah, but they a lot of their money they make is is outside off the field. I mean, it's right. because they're an athlete. I mean, they wouldn't be who they are without, you know, without being good at their sport. I think we see this in the Olympics, too, to some extent. I mean, you do have some of those Olympians are also getting money on the side and, and doing that thing. But I, I really love listening to the stories where, you know, this kid gets on a snowboard at three and this becomes their life. And they realize that this becomes something that carries through you know, they're growing up with them. And then next thing you know, they're on the Olympic stage and they're they're doing these amazing tricks and flying through the air. And this is what they've been living for. This is what they have literally spent decades preparing for. And it's amazing. Um, it's, it's a little terrifying to me to peak at 16. I don't know how that would feel. <laughs> like you win a gold at 16, then what do you do with your life? But... <laughs> Yeah, and I, well, I think you see this happening to a lot of people who are maybe not the six. I mean, sixteen that that would be very unique. I mean, I think about this with even celebrity, any kind of celebrity that peaks as a childhood actor. There are e entertainment. That, what do they still have those documentary series where Where are they now? Yeah, and yeah. A lot of those kids are not in good places, I, and I would wonder that about athletes as well. Yeah. But after a career, whether you know whether your career peaks at sixteen. Or you peak at 26, let's say you're in the NFL, and that's a very short career in the NFL. Or baseball is a little bit longer. Or you could be like Tom Brady in 44, but that's that's very rare of anybody to be 44 and still playing a sport. Yeah. Golf, unless you that's why kids, if you're listening, play golf. <laughs> you don't really get hurt and you can play forever. Yep. But yeah, who who are you? Why are you here? Why do you exist when your career is over? Yeah, and that you see a lot of you know, bankruptcy, and you're like, "How did that happen? This guy was making millions of dollars. Well, um, this, the money's not coming in like it used to. You're no longer relevant, right? Um, you're disposable now that you are no longer playing in this particular arena. Uh, so, our with 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 athletes, just in ancient athletes, I'm curious. Like originally, we these minds, as we see, they're sacrificed to the gods, but then you get to the Olympic athletes. Mm -hmm. What happens to them when their career is over? Like I, from what I understand, they some of them are fed like a, it's like a pension, like they're they're fed for the rest of their lives, which is that that's a big thing. I mean, right, basic necessities of the ancient world. Uh, I is, don't is, know any is there of like that. a royal a royal club where you could still go in the box boxes and sit with the with the emperor. I have no idea. That's one we'll have to find out if we have a historian listening. Let us know. Uh, that wasn't in the research that I did, so. <laughs> but it is such a small percentage of people who would who would be shrined. Yeah. And even even today, we can say that you know we we love our 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 athletes that bring our city or our team a, a trophy or a ring. 
Yeah. And usually they'll always have a place at the table if the, if and this this happens in universities, even in colleges. If if you you, know, you played there and you you lettered and you always got a place back at the table. Right. Yeah. Not everybody. It went so far in Greece that you know sometimes athletes were considered almost gods because of their ability to compete at this level. And while we would not claim today that athletes are divine, I think they do get that treatment sometimes. I think they get that special access and treatment and um, they're, they're people that we look up to. Not divinity in the sense of, you know, Christ, but they're, they're still, they're people that shape our culture. They shape and influence you know, hopes and dreams and what it means to do hard work and what it means to, for some of them care about your communities. Well, I know I was, I was really influenced um, by Magic Johnson because when I was in elementary school, he was at Michigan State. And so that was just someone that we looked up to at that age, because he was there and he's gone on to have this, this whole other career in LA and the Lakers and I've I've followed him the whole way through. Not a super fan, but you know that made an impression on a young kid to have that person be someone that we were looking up to. Right. Yeah, and that's that's the thing now. As you know, now as we're looking at we're middle aged, and then we're looking at this younger generation coming up and looking at athletes. It's easy for us now to say, "Oh, I get why our parents were always so concerned about whom we were following and." And at least for us as, as young, you know, young boys, we would put these posters up in our room. I don't know if, if you ever did crazy things like that. And, and so, you know, some athletes obviously are more, um, well, let's just say better role models than others. Yeah. Yeah. But the influence that these athletes have over young people is tremendous. Yeah. And so I, I kind of get now why, you know, my, my parents were, I mean, they, they, they allowed that to happen. But then, you know, if, if, if there's this athlete that represents things that, that your family doesn't value, in fact, it's the antithesis of, of your religion, that was a big deal. I mean, and, and even growing up, I can recall family members saying, oh, this, this athlete, he's a Christian. And, and that was such a big deal of like he put his faith first. And I didn't fully get that. I go, oh, I guess that's cool. And even today, I, I wonder what that really means. And, you know, players that go and they mm-hmm. kneel in the end zone and, Okay, that's great and all, but what are they? What are they, what are they doing in the real world? I want to hear their stories, and there are some amazing athletes that that really do give back to their communities. Yeah. So um, I think they have a bigger role off the field as much as I do on the field for for young people, and so I kind I kind of get that that posture now of the now being a parent of two two young right. People. Who are my kids following? <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> Who are they watching up on that big stage? Yeah. What's who's important to them? Who do they see? Yeah, kids. I see it. I see it all the time. I always see young, you know, young kids emulating these athletes. And I've even seen so Patrick Mahomes being a Chiefs. Yeah, you know, you, and he's got this the hair, just kind of a funky <laughs> hairdo. And I've seen young children, and maybe you have too in Denver, or probably not Denver, maybe more. In yeah, <laughs> but, uh, here here in Waco, and they have the same haircut, and they got his jersey on, and they're they're doing his moves. You can watch this, and like that. That's a uh, that's an incredible influence over a young person. Yeah. So they're also watching what you say when you get the mic in your hand. So then back in the day, they would give honor to Zeus or, or that, you know, at least in the, in the Greek world, 
They had like four different kinds in Greece. I didn't know this. They had the, and I'm if I say these wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, the four ancient Greek games were the Olympian, the Pythian, the Isthmian, and the Nemean. And they were associated with the worship of the gods. And so the Olympian games were focused on Zeus. The Pythian games were held at Delphi, the site of Apollo's oracle, which I believe is mentioned in the New Testament. The Pythian games um, also included musical literature and dramatic events. Then the Isthmian games were held in Corinth, and these are probably the ones that Paul was kind of referencing in a lot of his sports metaphors. Um, and then the other, the last location was the Nemean Games, also held in honor of Zeus, and these also included poetry and music. So this was obviously a big shape. This shaped their culture. I mean, mm -hmm. um, it really seems like it was something that a lot of people would have been aware of. Absolutely. And one of the things that we were talking earlier before we were recording that Paul coming from a pharisaical background, being a, you know, in that rabbinical influence in the Jewish world, using language that the Corinthian people would understand his own people would have probably, it would have been some of the worst language. He, he might as well have just urinated all, all over their Jewish temple. Wow. I mean, if you think, think about it, like, so it, if these are pagan, pagan rituals, that's what it is. It's not, we think of, Oh, it's just a sport. No, it was devoted to Zeus. It was, de it was devoted to these deities and they're, they're running the race for, you know, and not just themselves. Right. And, but for this other thing out there that is not uh, Adonai, it is not God, the God of the Hebrew people. And then Paul says here in first Corinthians, do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And then he says, I do not rain, run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. That's what I referred to earlier. But I pummel my body and I subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's using that same language. Second mm -hmm. Timothy 4, 7. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. He's using language that would appeal to those crowds in Corinth, obviously. Right. In a way, I mean, he's losing his own religion and his own tribe in the meantime. Paul, Paul's basically a heretic when he say, says these things and, and, wow. and writes in such a way. And it's not like today where we, we get on you know, Facebook and Twitter and we can write something with our, real quick and then say, like, he spent time writing this down and sending this out. It's like he had time to throw that paper away. <laughs> yeah. His delete button was was there, but but well, yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious. Like so, with with that in mind, of it being sports are are, are ultimately pagan from a Christian background, um, but yep, or even so, the Jude say Judeo Christian background, but then they bring themselves into the early church, but and then Constantine really solidified it. You know, he was he was big into it, but then you get you know, you, you keep moving on, and then eventually it gets banned. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and then it comes back again, and but it's yeah. One at one point, yeah, with Christian influence, the Olympic Games were banned. So it's kind of you know, you're looking back at our our traditions of Halloween and Christmas. Yeah, same thing with the Puritans. You know, in the, whenever the 1700s banned in America, but now we're like, can you imagine Christmas being banned? 
No. It's the same with the Olympics. <laughs> As Christians now, Christians are like, can you imagine the Olympics being banned? It's it's almost like it's synonymous with Christianity in America. It's, it's like this Christian nationalistic uh, secretist event. Interesting. You know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I think Paul Paul's a bit of a of a renegade. I mean, he always was, but I kind of have even a little bit more respect for him than I. I mean, I already had respect for him, but I don't know. There's a lot of Paul bashers out there that can't stand right. Him. But like you you were saying before we started recording, like, can you say a little more about Judaism and kind of how they didn't play sports? This was just not part yeah. of their this wasn't part of their experience. It, it wasn't. So first off, it's um, it's about holiness. So if other cultures are doing this, there's that holiness code. And if you're from a tradition like Janelle's tradition, the Nazarene, you understand holiness. Southern Baptists have a holiness code, too. Everybody has a holiness code. Uh, and that's why if you look at the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. And you see all these weird laws that are in place. It was really about a separation. So the the nations, the pagan nations do it this way. We as Jews with one God do it this way. So it was always pointing mm-hmm. to God. It, we think it doesn't make sense. Polyester clothes, tribe lens, whatever. Why can't we wear these? Well, it's less about figuring that out, more about like it's we're separate from those that do it that way because they have different gods than we do. Right. So that, that's the first thing, um, most important thing in that. And then also just in the culture of of the Greco-Roman world, these athletes were, they were naked, full on, the full Monty. So as a Jew, the shame, there's so much shame in looking at oh, wow. yeah. somebody naked. Yeah. And so you would, if you saw that in public, I mean, it's that, that's, that's a huge, that's a huge no-no. I don't mm-hmm. think I can emphasize that enough that. The human and so the human body for the Greeks, there was a glorification of that because these these small athletic men, young men who were wrestling or running or whatever it was, um, they did uh, they're almost like small deities in a way. So their naked bodies were you know a symbol, if you will, right? Right. Of, of a greater de- a deity. Right. And then you have these Jewish people who were like, no, like that's that's two horrible things in existence right there. There's only one God. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy doesn't walk around with his naked his stuff his stuff hanging out right our guys, our guys clothed in yep. honor <laughs> but um you know we laugh at this kind of stuff now but i i mean try to put yourself back in that situation as a young jewish boy like paul who grew up in that world and that's all he knew and and now he's you know he's talking about running the race mind-blowing stuff that is such it's such a worldview shift for for him to be able to to grab onto those metaphors and use them i even read one thing that said it's possible that his tent making was outside of corinth for the athletes um mm-hmm. to to prepare them for the games so they'd have some place to stay um right so we don't know how how much he was interacting with this but clearly it left an impression for him to compare this to religion in that way. Yeah. So then what, if, if these Olympic athletes speaking of, of them and then Paul and those metaphors that he uses, I'd like to, if we can dig into that a little bit, yeah. he grew up with this language. And now as people who love the Olympics and love, you know, everything from ice skating now that we're seeing to the summer Olympics of running races. Um, it's a great metaphor. Pastors yeah. as you referred to earlier, use it all the time in all kinds of sermons. What is this particular race that that religious people, and specifically, I guess, Christians in, in this case, what are they running for? What is that prize? Mm-hmm. 
would you still use that language today? Well, how about this? What did it mean for you back in the day? And then what could it possibly mean for you now? Where is it irrelevant? Well, I think this was actually probably a little harder for me because I wasn't athletic. Um, I am short. And so the sport I really liked was volleyball. And there wasn't really a space for someone like me on the kind of team that was at my high school. I did do track for a little bit, but quite frankly, found it quite boring. So like sports was just not in my in my attention growing up. Um, I was a musician, however, and that's something that, you know, comes up in some of this history we read. Uh, I started piano at five and started choir in seventh grade. And that was my and then band started saxophone in fifth grade. So that was my life was rehearsal, practicing, preparing for performance. So I think if Paul had used some of those metaphors, it might have stuck with me a little more. But they, you know, I didn't have any problem with them. They just didn't probably mean to me what they might have meant to you because I wasn't doing those kind of activities. I think today, I think it could be, I can be helpful. I mean, like we, we've already talked about, like this is so pervasive in our culture. I think that it probably makes sense to utilize these examples and how they connect to faith and how we practice our faith. Um, where I get into a little problem, like the beating my body thing, not loving that. Like, I know there's like, where's the line between discipline and either abuse of others or abuse of self and, you know, the rabbit trail that we don't have to go into, but it's like all of the body image stuff that goes on in our culture. And a lot of that's really unhealthy. And so where do we find a middle ground where these metaphors can be useful but are not like shameful shaming of other right. people. Yeah, and, and I can I can absolutely see with that with that context and even within context because there's been trainers that have been abusive as as I think we're all aware of now that uh, there there is some rigorous training that goes on in any kind of sport and you know people who run it I don't I don't, I don't understand it because of the chafing first off. <laughs> But I mean, the amount of pain that your body goes through right. to your knees and joints and, you know, you got ice baths going on. We talked about football earlier. I think that's that's a that's a you don't have to really go into detail. I think we all know the brutal training that goes into football, boxing, uh, MMA fighting. You, you know, yeah. univer- was it universal? No, UCF. Uh, that's not my thing. Yeah. Ultimate fighting champion, UFC. Sorry. UCF is a school. Sorry, Central Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it it can lead to some like you were saying some really abusive things to one's one's body, but at the same time, and I, I, I should have said a semicolon, not a but. You have to you have to go through a lot of suffering in order to achieve that ultimate goal of winning. Yeah, you know, I don't know any athlete that's ever been out there that can can say, "Oh, I just showed up one day and, and was never never in pain." You know, no, you no you a lot of pain before you before you even get on the field, right? But that is tough, though, because then the if we use that language as in spiritual talk and metaphor, somebody who is not accustomed to athletic stuff, they can say, wow, like my body and like, what does that mean to should I starve myself? Should I hurt? Should I cut myself? Should I? And it can lead to some really dark places. So I think people in ministry, especially in the church, can be very careful what language they use to their audiences. 
I mean, I, I think I was just blind when I was a youth pastor forever. I'm sure my, my teens that are now adults could probably say, Ryan used a lot of sports metaphors and analogies. And right. I, I have to say, I, I was speaking to, to my crowd and that's a very selfish thing. So I think a lot of pastors probably like me, they're, they're speaking to the crowd to which they know. And, and perhaps that crowd should say, maybe we should listen to, to our, to our audiences and our communities of people if they might not be into sports like you. <laughs> so they're not going to get your language and it's going to be confusing. So it could lead to some, some dark stuff. Well, and I think too, like one of the things that kind of brings up is the tradition I was in. We had ba- we had softball leagues, but that was it. And so like, there was always this strange, you need to be healthy, but like getting involved in sports was not the way you do that. And it was just, I don't know. I wonder if it go because of the type of purity culture I came out of and holiness culture. I almost, it resonated when you talked about the Jews talking about the indecency of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, I think that might've been an influence where I was growing up and going to church was, you know, we, we have to make sure that we are, you know, careful in our behavior and careful in how we move through the world. And I think that included sports to some extent in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. I I respect the, the, all these analogies when it comes to getting men specifically and and I guess a certain kind of generalized man in America interested in, in any kind of religion or a church or a community that, that I think is, is helpful. Um, but outside of the, the people who, you know, or just don't get sports, like maybe use the arts, which I think is, is nice. Like I didn't, I did not realize this. And it was pointed out here that part of these games were also educational. Right. So perhaps maybe fit that into the sermon next time, pastors. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, and I can totally see like in a modern context, what would it be like if we had, we have the Olympians in China and then there was also a group of people sharing their musical abilities, their poetry slam, you know, having that kind of um, more comprehensive competition. Um, I don't know of any global, well, that's not true. I mean, we have the America's Got Talent kind of thing, mm-hmm. which which is competitive. We've got uh, Eurovision, which is a band competition in Europe, and they're bringing that to the U.S. and we'll probably ruin it. Um, <laughs> I you know, think so there, there's a there's a movie with Will Ferrell Eurovision. Oh yeah, I I saw the <laughs> the trailer for that. So I mean, I think that we do. I guess we we have created arenas for these different at things, um, but that idea of bringing everybody together in one place to do that is really really interesting to me. And we did that. Did I don't know, Ryan? Did the uh, youth groups when you grew up have a sports and talent competition? We definitely every every camp that we, yeah. Oh, camp were, did okay. There were always teams, and you know, you always wanted the most athletic people on your teams. But it wasn't, you know, yeah. I guess most of them were very Western sporty. You know, even the goofy games, like you still wanted the athletes on your team. Yeah. I don't think there was anything that had to do with America's Got Talent. It should have been. I think that would have been definitely more interesting. 
Well, so I actually have to redact what I said earlier because we actually, I saw this in one of the ex-evangelical groups this week, and I didn't know it happened outside of Nazarene churches, but we had competition in the spring for some sports and then music and sermons and storytelling and art. So we would go to the district level, which is like all the churches in your area, and we would compete with each other in all those different aspects. And then we would, if you got a good score there, you would go down to the closest Nazarene university and do it at the regional level. And so we did, the, let's see, volleyball was big. I think there was some basketball. I don't know if they did running, but we did have, I have to take it back. We did have that once you were in middle school all the way through high school, you could compete in this thing in the spring, but it, but it was very, you know, it was in this specific format. It had to fit inside the specific format. And that's really, I wasn't allowed to be proud of the music work I was doing in my, you know, school life, but I could do it in this competitive form in the church. Super Mm. weird. Yeah. Curious what people's thoughts are. I'm very open to hearing this and hearing yours too of competition when it comes to our spirituality and the pros and cons. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know that I like that word at all when it's used in reference to how spiritual are you? Like, I don't see how that's valuable. Um, Most of the time when I've seen it used like that, it ends up hurting people. And I'm not sure religion should be a competition. Should I really worry about being holier than my neighbor? I don't know. That one's weird. Right. I think this is where the balance of monasticism and the contemplative arenas of religion really are needed. I think you can't, you just have the, that athletic image metaphor, it gets to that really dangerous kind of CrossFit type of a church mentality, which then leads to ministries like what Mark Driscoll had up at, you know, Mars Hill and still has actually in his church in Arizona. And so much, but so many churches have that. It is, it is very unhealthy yeah. for a lot of people. Um, one, it, one, it leads to, I think some, some generalization of, of just, some of the gender roles too, and um, which is probably not good. <laughs> and um, and yeah. also like the, it can lead to burnout. I mean, it can lead to like, if I'm not, I mean, athletes get burned out all the time. How many pe- people have gone through a season where they've given it their all and like, I just quit. I can't do this anymore. And they don't want to quit, but it's just the sport's no longer fun. Right. So that can come to someone's faith. If you make it about, you know, run the race and beat your body and all these things. And, so that, that can lead to people who are like, well, I got, I got to read the Bible more. I got to yeah. pray more. I got to do more, you know, gifts of, of compassion for the homeless and care about this and this. And, and then at least just compassion fatigue overall, just because you've been doing too much and you can't handle all that at once. Yeah. That's, um, I think we need, yeah, we definitely need that balance. We don't understand balance in the Western world. No, no. The, the question that came up along these lines for me is that, this was, you know, religion and sport, the way it was combined in a lot of these traditions was competitive or winning the war. And how does that relate to kind of a more relational or process theology where it's about relationship? It's about connecting to God 
and building health and wholeness and worth in that and doing that when we interact with each other. And if competition's at the heart of that, I don't, I don't know if you can get there. I think we have to kind of, kind of use that metaphor where it's useful, but then also let go of it in other ways. Um, Cause I can't create a relationship with God. That's going to be, you know, based on the fact that I'm better than my neighbor. That's, Mm-hmm. That that is not a way, the weighing mechanism, at least for me. I think it needs to be how do I relate to God and how is that displayed and how I relate to others and how do I make the world better and bring them along. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this is where every metaphor and analogy falls apart. Falls at some point. So yeah, you know, and I think Paul probably knew that as well. But Paul. Paul was a very passionate guy. That's an understatement. Yeah. So I want I, I'd li- I'd like to know if there were journals of Paul back in the day. If people found out that he dealt with depression or you know worked himself to death. And yep. I mean that maybe wouldn't have been a word. He would have used different words back then. But something I mean, the human condition can only handle so much. Right. Well, and I when I think about that, I think about what it meant for the way that we were used when we were young and had lots of energy. And kind of thrown at everything and, you know, did every event at the church and taught every class and did every Bible study, plus our devotions, plus our CCM listening. Like, it was just this constant barrage of things you need to do. And you and I were both in ministry, and so that's not unheard of. But at the same time, you know, as we both kind of left that behind... They, they didn't care that they used us up. They didn't care that they just sucked everything they could out of us um, to make things work and to make things run. And I, that's, that's a piece of this that I find really disturbing because I think that still goes on. 20-somethings have a lot of energy. Oh, yeah. That's, what, that's, that's where you have a pretty direct comparison with yeah. athletes and, and their youth and then young people working in ministry. I mean, we use them up yeah, and we tell them... Just give them pizza and like, they'll, they'll work for hardly anything. Yep. They'll don't pay you. them. Don't provide for them. I think that that's a huge problem. I understand the concept of being an intern, but you shouldn't be an intern for three years. Um, you need to be paid. You need to be compensated for your work. And yeah, we, but we do, we do this not just in, in religion and in, in those circles. Yeah. It's in the real world too. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think about my wife being a, a physician I mean, residency. Yeah. The the amount of money that residents make on top of the loans that are there is ridiculous. And other countries probably look at us like, why would you ever be a doctor in the U.S. for what you yeah. have to go to? And it, evidently, it was worse back in the day I mean, with, with absolutely zero sleep. It's uh, it's not fun. No. It's birds. Don't be a doctor, kids. <laughs> <laughs> or if you do, maybe maybe you do it when you're, when you're in your teens. Be Doogie Hauser. Yeah. Get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. <laughs> then you can relax when you're older. Yeah. For sure. Oh, so uh, speaking of this competition and this this winning, you know, Vince Lombardi just having the Super Bowl, the trophy, he, you know, he's often quoted as winning isn't everything. It's it's the only thing. And and so if you relate that to someone's faith, of we use the terms winning somebody to Christ. Yeah. Oh, or coming back after like a Sunday program, it would be, Huddle up, you know, Monday, Monday morning quarterback, and what were the wins of, yep. of yesterday? And 
just the language of, of that it was so ingrained in in so many ministry cultures i mean I'm, I'm sure i'm speaking to a lot of people out there that say yeah we definitely use that language you know? right and, and that can also be kind of damaging if i'm not if i'm not winning somebody to my my side what are the wins that you have or is jesus going to be disappointed in me am i not going to get another jewel in my crown i'm going to take one away because i was lazy that sunday Whew. Ouch. Yeah, we had to count uh, and report how many people we got sanctified every year for our district licensing. And if if that number was really low, you know, you got a lecture about how you need to work harder on this. You need to be saving more people. Right. The metrics were so salvations, baptisms, and I guess the sanctification. Yep. In my and tradition, how you'd rate that? What is that like? How many Bible studies they attended, or what? What does that? Well, look like? in in my tradition, it was kind of another step beyond yep. salvation. So, if they said the prayer and were doing the work, then that counted. I get that we need to count attendance at church and kind of know what's going on, but pushing people to save other people for a number count. Oh yeah, no, nah. based on numbers, and that's that says. A lot about the American church. Yeah. Then it's it speaks volumes about the American culture because it truly is everything is about bottom line. Yeah. Everything that we do. You know, and even like going back to sports and ownership of teams, if if these owners aren't making money, if people aren't going into their stadiums and buying the concessions and buying the jerseys, I mean, it's a business before it's a sport. Right. Church is a business before it's a religion in America these days. We were just talking the Denver Broncos are for sale and you're, we're talking they could start bidding at $4 billion, you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. We've got a, a large church here, not uh, as big as some of the mega churches, but it's it's all about money and money and numbers. It kind of has to be. If you set yourself up in that particular system, it's really kind of hard to blame those ministries. You have to make the money to pay those people so that you can have health care for those families and, the, and their children. And it's it's just like, but the burden of that, then the language is, and I've heard people use this, won't mention names, and I hate this wording. It's, we got to close the back door. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's that conversation. And for those who don't know, that means, yeah, you got to get them in the doors. And that might be the easy part, but how do you keep them in? And I'm like, oh, of course, you got to keep them in. You got to keep them interested. So then the programs have got to get more interesting, not just stay interesting. Yeah. You got to outdo it. So it's like, it's like movies these days of this sequel has to outdo the previous sequel. And so winning at all costs, it's whatever it takes. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm going back and forth with like sports and church and whatnot, but I think there's such comparison these days. Yeah. If you go to universities now who have big football programs and that's typically in the South, you are in competition with other university and alumni with big, deep t- pockets. And, and they're not just – you give scholarships. Every university gets scholarships, you know. But it's what you do with your facilities. It's right. Our stadium has this capacity. We have this – you know, our athletic uh, training facilities have these many, you know, I don't know. The, I don't know the equipment these days. I wouldn't be able to tell you. But they're, right. they're looking like Globo Gym on steroids. And I mean, Cinemarks, you know, like, you know, if you go to yep. Cinemark now, I know you're talking about movies and you haven't been to a movie in a while because of the pandemic. But now if you go to a movie these days, 
the screens are bigger. The chairs are more comfy. You're so now sports is like, well, we got to do that, you know, to our world too, to bring these kids in, to keep them. And then we got to make sure the fans are entertained. So it's all, it's this whole business, same thing in religion, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, how do you make this children's ministry interesting? How do we get the kids in the door and keep them entertained and mm-hmm. keep the parents entertained? And the kids entertain because, and then it's just, oh my gosh, it's, that's a headache. Yeah. My head's head's spinning and hurting thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But what, you know, I'm I'm curious. So what if that language is, is, uh, I don't know, more about, I don't don't even know what we would use these as. If you could change the language, still keep sports, like, you know, like we're talking here, how would we change the language? Well, so one of the things that I found in here is in Japan, and actually I have a friend that does this kind of thing as an outreach and ministry. They have Zen archery or Kudo. Sorry if I said that wrong. And this is shooting arrows and how that unifies your body, mind, and soul. So it says here, um, this tradition is to achieve a balance among mind, body, and bow which gives rise to a unity that links the spirit to the target. Achieving this balance is more important than hitting the target. Although hitting the target is expected, if you follow these natural steps to achieve balance between mind, body, and bow. So there's practicing correct breathing. There's proper technique. There's eight stages you execute and you release the arrow at the seventh stage and that is because you're so in tune with it, the arrow does what it's supposed to do. And that is then also, you know, connected to the flow of energy in your body. And what that kind of, you know, just reading that again, like what if we were concentrating on, we're doing all the discipling in, internally, we're, our, we're taking care of our people, we're nurturing them, we're taking care of their mental health and their physical health, taking them seriously with the things they're struggling with, working to become a real authentic and open community. I think if that were the focus, then this idea of, you know, this, this energy does what it's supposed to, if we were doing all of those things really well, which is going to be slow, it's not going to bring in a lot of money. It's not going to be flashy. It's going to mean people having to slow down and be real about what's going on in life and not being given shame and guilt for everything that happens to them. Mm-hmm. Then people will see that and they will come and join. But that's a whole different speed, like focusing your body and your breathing to then shoot an arrow, which is what my friend Angie does, is a, is a whole different experience than going to a football game because it's about knowing, you know, what's going on inside of me and how is that reflected in this, this action that I'm taking, Mm -hmm. Um, which, which is what we're called to do as Christians, I believe is nurture our relationship with God, work on our discipline, uh, become a reflection of the image of God as we were created to be. And then let let that do the attracting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we've gotten away from that for, for sure. But that's a lot of hard work, like doing that discipline, the, the discipleship, where, where it's not about control, where it's about relationship and integrating your faith into your life and doing actually like real healing of issues that people deal with, whether that's 
you know, wounds from their family of origin or abuse or trauma they've received, not, you know, marking those off. Oh, let's just pray about it and fix it. No. How do we help you actually heal that? How, what, how can we support you quite seriously? Like what would it look like for a church instead of trying to get a bigger, you know, screen up front, we're going to put a lot of that money into helping our people get counseling and therapy to help them be able to process through some of the things that have gone on in life. And if we were doing that, if we were creating healthy whole people that were learning to function better in the world, then I think we would draw other people to us, but it's not flashy and it's not easy. It's not, but no, nobody really talks about athletes doing ballet or yoga or Pilates or breathing meditations. Yep. And I don't feel a lot of those athletes do that. I mean, we, so, I mean, this reminds me, you were talking about in the, this Eastern framework that I think is needed so badly in the West and it needs to shine a little bit brighter and it's going to take, it's hard. Because, because the West is so power-driven. But on that same line, you've got this founder of Zen Buddhism who's put himself in a cave, meditated for how long, and created Kung Fu. Most people <laughs> don't know that. Kung Fu is supposed to be badass, you know? But the badassness started in a cave with a Zen Buddhist doing meditation. Trying to make sure his body would yeah. still be functioning and would be you know, flexible and all of those things. And so, yeah, I think looking at, you know, what, what's our end goal can inform how we do our sport or how we use the, that language. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you've got different options here. Well, you know, er, earlier we were talking about burnout and with reference to um, burning out in one's job and, and one's career in sports and, and also in one's faith. And I think if perhaps religious people took a step back in the West and, and just looked at all the burnouts of, of, of people in business, you know, people in, I mean, you could do any industry in the Western world and say, there's a reason why people last in their job for, what is the average now? Two years, maybe? maybe. Yeah, it's not much. And you said, okay, what, what does it mean to have a successful business practice, sports, you know, industry team, um, church, and in a way that's going to keep people here? That I, I'm using the closing the back door, but in a way that actually I think is beneficial for the whole, not right. just the money purposes. And how do we create a family here, a system that is integrated to the world around them, their local communities, the global communities, their own bodies? Um, I, th I think we will be doing ourselves and each other a, gr a greater service. And yeah. we wouldn't be doing as much of, of the... Oh, the after, you know, band-aids and healing. And we would be slowly healing along the way. It wouldn't be so much damage damage control after it's all said and done. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that you have to really flip the framework. We talked about deconstruction a couple episodes back. And I think we have to deconstruct how we deal with our spirituality uh, as, as it applies to our, our institutions, our, our churches and our ministries and our, our sports, our sports yeah. teams and whatnot. And fans. I mean, this is where fans come in because it, in some ways, the these teams wouldn't be anything without the fans. The fans wouldn't be anything without the teams. Like, they need each other. Yeah. Fans need to show up even when the team sucks. And I think that, that is – if you don't see the application there, I can't spell it more clearly. If right. the team sucks, you still got to show up. So you're just going to be seasons in your spiritual life where your community sucks. Your leaders suck. You suck. And you still need each other in those times. 
fact, those are the best times. Yeah. So if I if I could just do a little tangent, and I didn't even mean for this to happen because now it's okay. It's my stream of consciousness happening right now. For those that don't know, and I've probably referred to this before, so Baylor University men's basketball team just won a national championship for the first time ever last year. It was great. But if you go back to the history of this program, 18, I think it was about 18 years ago, Scott Drew, he was a, he was young, the coach, he, he took this job and he should not have taken this job. Nobody should have taken this job. This was the worst job in NCAA division one basketball to take because Baylor just had the biggest scandal in division one sports with a murder and cover up and all kinds of, I mean, it was, it was the ugliest. It was embarrassing to be an alumni of Baylor university at that time. Mm -hmm. Scott drew took the job. And I mean, he was, this is, this is, this is so funny. He was literally going to corner stores with his assistant coaches around campus looking for tall people and like, Hey, do you play basketball? And he had open tryouts. People were coming in from all across the state to Waco to do tryouts, to play basketball because they, they got, um, not, they didn't get a death penalty that they got some kind of probation where they, they couldn't have you know, a certain amount of scholarships. So they right. had a full roster with walk-ons. Well, he was, he was having to ter- ask people during these walk-ons, like, are you, do you actually go to school here? And they go, Oh, we got to go to school here to play basketball here. That's how bad it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, there are fans that remember those days that stuck with him through those days. And he, you know, he built this thing up. Well, now, I mean, regardless of, of what you think about basketball or, you know, well, I know Scott Drew, like, okay. Um, I don't know who Scott Drew is. I just know him as a, as a fan. And I know that he speaks to players now saying he's building a culture of joy at Baylor and it's going to sound cheesy for some who are listening, but it's Jesus, others, and then yourself. So players are attracted to this program, this model, because one, like he's attracting, you know, some faith-based people. Jesus obviously makes sense, but he emphasizes the others, that you're on this team. It's about others. And then yourself will come into play. Oh, I, I love it. I know it sounds cheesy, but I mean, I, I think that you have somebody who's been two decades in the grind and the fans that have stuck with them and have built this thing up. Um, there's some beauty in that. Yeah. You gotta, you get, but you gotta go through the pain, you know, in, in order to get there. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you're going to win a national championship if you're, t- <laughs> you know, that's, that just happened. I mean, some people say, well, it's God's will. I'm like, I, uh, I don't know about that, but it did create an atmosphere um, where the players really um, gelled together and right. still, they just love being together. So, I know, I know some friends who I've, they would poo on that just because they're jealous of Baylor, but for winning. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's something to it. And I think the idea of creating it to be a space, it sounds like he's doing this in a healthy way that we are, you know, we're centered on Jesus and we, we are working to, to help others, but that involves, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself, that there's that interplay. And I think when it's healthy, that's a phenomenal way to live. Um, I think I would say, though, to anyone listening, if you're in a place that kind of uses that covenant as a way to bond you to the church and you're being abused, um, that's not the same thing. No. And you can walk away. Um, and there is a line there. And I think pastors can create this kind of joy, too. They can create this in a way that builds community and camaraderie and fellowship and authenticity. 
But again, I bet he works hard to do that. I bet he puts a lot of time into his guys. I don't know if those guys sleep, those coaches that, the, you know, that college plus you've got recruiting too. Yeah. It's not just coaching. Player development, young, you know, young adults, and it's a different stage in life. It's a lot of work. The, the sports ball and fame. <laughs> We've we've discussed this. Our, do we have anything else to cover? Did do you think if people have questions, I guess they could always ask us. Yeah, send us questions. And like you said, I'm gonna do a little more work on this and put together a curriculum piece so that we can all talk about sports and faith. Because again, I said it already like three times. This blew my mind um, that there's this history. The one one uh, interesting fact we didn't get to yet that I thought was so cool is. In let me get get to the right place. So in Persia, they this is eleven hundred. They talked about how polo was their sport and utilized it even in describing the horizon is the boundary of your polo ground, the earth is the ball in the curve of your polo stick, until the dust of non-existence rises from annihilation. Gallop and urge your steed because the ground is yours. So this is like so rooted in how they view their faith. The Hindu documents talk about uh, make us victors among men, make us more like you, O powerful one, and bring us immortality. So striving towards uh, what does it mean to find wholeness? And then in some of their oldest texts, these so these date from as early as the sixth century BCE. They're talking about again a bow and arrow, uh, the bow incomparable, the sharp arrow of devotional worship. Then, with mind absorbed and heart melted in love, draw the arrow and hit the mark, the imperishable Brahman. Om is the bow, the arrow is the individual being, and Brahman is the target. With a tranquil heart, take aim. Lose thyself in him, even as the arrow is lost in the target. I mean, this is, I just think it's amazing. I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing that the way that they lived and how that impacts their understanding of faith and the games they played and the tools that they were using help shaped their understanding of what it meant to be a faithful believer. So I, I just thought those were really cool ones that I had never heard that we would want to include well maybe uh next time we do beer camp we'll have to have some physical competitions besides cornhole <laughs> well we could just do like you have two kegs and you know you get the baseball bat and you, you drink some and then you spin around your head and have you someone else do it no <laughs> you don't know what i'm talking about no it's like a, it's like a relay race and so then oh. you, you uh you get the kegs and a baseball bat right there and then you run to the other side, you, you drink from the keg, you know, probably out of a cup. And then you, you get the baseball bat and you spin around it with like your forehead on the, on the, yeah. the you ever done the baseball bat twirl? No. So you're dizzy after you drink and then you run to the other side and you tag <laughs> your teammate and then they do it. Yeah. That sounds like beer camp activity for sure. <laughs> I don't know why we didn't do that last time. Yeah, go down, get filled with the spirit and then try to find your, your next convert. And bring them along. How's that? <laughs> oh, man. Sounds like fun. All right. Well, this was awesome. I did not expect this to be so wide ranging and it was cool. 
Well, thank you for offering up this topic. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, We will have a curriculum available for this soon. If you want to know more about Brutheology, you can find us at brutheology.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Brutheology and on Twitter at Bru underscore Theology. And if you liked this episode or any other episode, please like and rate us and all of that good stuff. And we'll see you next time. All right. Peace. Peace.